0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions
1: apply. I'm Rachel Zoe.
2: And I'm Roger Berman.
1: And we are very excited to be launching our very first podcast called Works for Us.
2: And I think the genesis of this entire Podcast is the fact that most people come up to us and say, "I cannot believe you guys are still together." What works for you? How do you do it? So we decided to put together some thoughts on
1: what works for us. It's a constant question of like we'll see people that we knew in college, and they're like, "You're still together?" Like <laughs> 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 we'll see people all be like, "Wow, I knew you then." Was I with Roger? That yeah, I was, I was, and so. We should give a little bit of background about why it works for us.
2: Yeah, maybe the Genesis story uh-huh. would be interesting.
1: Well, would we tell it differently or would we tell it the same?
2: My memory's not so good. But from what I remember, one day I walked to work.
1: By and- the way, it's such a shame that people can't see you right now because your outfit is just you know, really next level right
2: I now. I call it. COVID casual, Rachel.
1: Is that what it's called?
2: Oh yeah, it's a whole new thing. So moving right along, one day I was a waiter. Well, I was a waiter anyway, but I was a waiter at a restaurant in Washington DC named Mona Lisa. And I showed up to work with my good friend, Michael Smith. He was walking me to work actually. And uh, looked to my right. And to my surprise at the hostess stand was not our regular hostess, she was cute. But there was this woman and the beauty of which I'd never seen.
1: Pretty sure I was a girl. What did I call you? A woman. Ooh. It just makes me sound like I wasn't 19.
2: (laughs) Once once you're with me, baby, you became a woman. But anyway, I saw that beautiful, striking, gorgeous 19-year-old and I turned to my friend and said something that I can't say on radio. Please don't. But let's just say um, I wasn't interested in having a long conversation with her. Yeah, so I think that's actually, wow, that's the first takeaway of our show, Rachel instant attraction. I always say to people that are about to begin a relationship, like, oh, you know, he's such a nice guy and we've been dating for so long. And yeah, I think we're going to get together. I'm like, listen, babe, unless you cannot live without that person, unless you cannot think about that person, unless you die for that person, trust me, you're not going to be with that person. It's not something you just wait for to hit you. It's like, I cannot live without this person. My life will be over. Because you need that because trust me, over 30 years, eh, little, little chinks in the armor. You know, little chinks in the armor over 30 years and you really need to have that really strong, almost visceral feeling at first to weather the storm, in my opinion. What about you, Rach? Were you as instantly stricken by me? Nope. What?
1: Um, I was working in the very fancy part of the restaurant, if you recall. <laughs> And you were working in the casual part. And so yep. I remember- Other side of the tracks. And I remember I remember seeing you after work and you were hanging out with a group of people. And I was like, he's cute. He's cute. He's definitely cute. Because you're much more handsome now than you were then. But you were cute. You looked like you were 15 in mm-hmm. hindsight. When I look at pictures, you actually don't even seem that you were college age. It's bizarre, actually. Gelbe. You were 22 and I was 19. You were in grad school and I was an undergrad at George Washington University. So this was all in Washington, D.C., the scene of quite a lot.
2: (laughs) Go colonials for Um, all of you who care.
1: What are colonials?
2: Sweetie, that was our school name. Rachel wasn't so into the school spirit part of the uh, program.
1: I didn't go to school for sports. I went to school because it was in a city that I was excited about and it was a school that seemed really fun and ended up being an amazing school. And we were there for the Clinton inauguration, which was awesome. But anyway, going back to, so I saw you and I remember thinking you were really cute. And I I had just gotten out of a relationship the day before I started that job and said I was gonna be single for at least two years and find myself, figure out who I was, and be single.
2: And instead you found yourself inside of me. I
1: wanted to be alone. I didn't wanna be dependent on anybody. I wanted to not be in a relationship because I had gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. And I said, this is it, (laughs) I'm gonna be on my own.
2: Funny you should say that because I was actually in a relationship during this time where I met my future wife. And uh, as it turns out, she was also a waitress. Can I mute you? I wasn't done. She was also a waitress at this. Mute.
1: So anyway, long story short is I ended up meeting him. I ended up leaving to go home to see my family. We became friends and I came back And the way I remember it, I went to the harbor where the restaurant was to go visit you when I got back from being with my family. And I saw you across the harbor and we went running for each other, like in a way that you see in like Hallmark commercials, like running through a field. And we literally, I jumped into his arms and he hugged me and spun me around for like what felt like 15 minutes, but was probably 30 seconds. And I remember going, hmm. It's not really how friends greet each other, is it? And um, shortly thereafter, our friends said, let's all go out, let's all meet for drinks. We went to meet for drinks, nobody showed up. And the bartender said to us, you guys make a great couple. And we both looked at the bartender and we're like, we're not a couple, we're not, we're not a couple, we're not a couple, we're just friends. We're, we're just meeting friends. Lo and behold, nobody showed up. We closed the bar. We stayed up the entire night on the floor of your gross apartment, and drank really cheap wine from 7- Seven Eleven. I went to 7-Eleven and bought a jug of very inexpensive wine. Jug wine, as you jug wine. Very, of it was it. a jug, not a bottle. We drank the whole thing. We stayed up all night talking on the floor, and you dropped me off the no. next day. No, dropped, we had breakfast first. Do we? Eat? Yeah, we remember. went to
2: the French place, had breakfast. Pierre de Cochon. No, it was down, whatever. I don't remember. Anyway, the name. so we, went, we had breakfast that morning after we stayed up all night. And then I dropped you off.
1: And you literally looked at me and you go, What are you doing later? Do you want to hang out? And I said, Yep. And you said, Okay, I'll pick you up tonight. And I was like, And that was literally actually it. And that was
2: 30 years ago. Correct.
1: Literally. And so. So I think from that point on, I'm pretty sure we were together every minute of every day. Like you are in college when you have a, when you're in a relationship and you have that freedom, you're just with them 24 seven. I'm, you know, we just didn't leave each other's side. And then we moved to New York city and you know, the rest is a long history. I
2: think you said, I love you first. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure you did.
1: I think you did because you broke up with the girlfriend. Cause no. I said, you have a girlfriend. I'm not doing this. Pick one of us. Bay. I remember that well, and I slammed well, your door at that awful well, apartment, I, and I well, left. Well, I know
2: you said it's me or her. Yeah, and I was like, mm, you. It was a pretty easy choice at the time, oh, but good. But I vaguely remember you saying it. That I don't. I, it's not important, but I'm pretty sure that you said it first. And Did I we
1: do, establish you don't have a good memory, right?
2: I have a good memory for certain things, like when you say "I love you."
1: Do first. you remember when you really fell in love with me?
2: Oh, 100 percent.
1: When it was when?
2: Oh, so. As the story goes, the way, so Rachel and I were dating and obviously there was some lust involved there because as I said, she was quite beautiful. She still is. And um, save. At, and at the time I am crafty, 30 years. Um, so at the time we were, I was, a, I was a, again, a waiter, but in a different restaurant at the point, this was now we had a relationship- My relation. parents
1: said you were in the food service industry.
2: Yes. Yeah. Her parents, like, I just got my MBA and I was a waiter. So, you know, didn't really fit with the the plan. But um, yes, I was a waiter again at a different restaurant. And after my shift, my lovely young new girlfriend would, even if it was two in the morning or whenever it was, she would shower, put makeup on, blow dry her hair just to come and pick me up at work, get fully dressed so that she would look good for me. God bless her. But this was actually a shift that I had during the day. And we were in Georgetown where I worked and we walked out of the restaurant and I ran into a couple of friends of mine and started talking to them. And Rachel said, Hey, do you want me to pull up the car? And I said to her, I'm like, Oh, that's so nice, but it's a stick shift." And she turned to me and I'll never forget the look in her eyes. And she goes, I drive stick. And I was like, Oh my God, I love you. And the next thing I know, she pulls up in my slamming 300 ZX T-top with a top down driving that stick. And that was it for me. I was like, wow, she's hot. And she drives stick. You know, I'm a guy. I don't really need that much more. So I built my whole, I built my whole world based on that.
1: I think I was just happy. To be honest, I don't think there was like an actual, like moment. It was actually that for the first time in my life, I had gone out with like a re a lot of like good looking guys that just were really not great boyfriends and not necessarily great people. And I think after a while, it was like one of those things where I couldn't believe I was with someone that I was attracted to and was a good person. And I think at some point I was like, this is insane. Like he's kind, he's treating me with like kindness. And I know it's not compelling and funny, but I actually, it was like very shocking to me that I could be with someone that had an edge. I found good looking and that I could be 100% myself with, despite the fact that my vanity would like, I always wanted to look good for him and put makeup when I picked him up and like whatever. And that I yell at my sister for letting her guard down so soon in a relationship. But I think, you know, for me, I just was—I was genuinely content in the fact that I—I I had someone that was kind and treated me with, with respect and kindness. It was—it was actually a very an, bizarre feeling. I
2: think that's an important thing to just bring out. Um, first of all, anyone out there, you're welcome to lower your standards t- to get your partner. Um, Rachel lowered her standards, and. Um, there, she you know, she was dating incredibly good-looking men, and she's like, you know, I'm gonna go for the, like the not so good-looking guy, and lo and behold, look what happened. And secretly, you grew into yourself. And secretly, honey. just like a fine wine, she picked the right jockey, and uh, here I am. I picked the right jockey too. You always say, pick the jockey, not the horse. There's so, no
1: doubt you became better looking with age for sure. Well,
2: thank you, sweetheart. Yeah, and I, th- I also think the other important thing that you spoke about, Rachel, is that you were able to be your important true self and. You know, I find that all the time. I, I don't know about you, but don't you hate when you're with a couple, and the person is completely different when we're they're alone, yes. and then they're completely different with that couple, yes. and you're like, huh? They don't act that way when they're with me. Well, what that means is that they're they're, they're changing their behavior for their spouse or yes. their partner, and you know. I just think being the unauthentic version of yourself, it's just too hard. It's too much effort to be someone else uh, and have your guard up with someone that you're living with and spending your life with. So if you're not comfortable disclosing your you know, basically your issues to the other person and having them, no, it's got to be, you know, you're basically what are you doing? You're hiding your issues. You're hiding the fact that you're not perfect, right? So you don't have to be perfect all the time with your with someone who, who loves you, you know, and that's the real takeaway here.
1: The first thing I hear when people say, oh my God, you've been together this long, isn't that so much work? And the first thing I always say is actually no, it's actually the easiest thing in my life. Life is work, everything else in life is work. Your relationship should actually be the easiest thing in your life. It's not to say you don't have ups and downs and there aren't moments where I wanna like, you know, slam him with a frying pan, like I do. But at the same time, it's, it's not something that I ever stress about. And I think that I have seen more often than not women, mostly men too sometimes that I've seen, but mostly my friends that are not themselves in their relationship. And for me, that was the eye-opening moment. Like I can let my guard down. I can be me. I can actually not wear makeup and wake up in the morning and he thinks I'm beautiful like this, you know, and you meant it. You weren't like being nice. And that's the thing. Like it was, It doesn't matter how I feel about myself. This is how he feels. And I thought that was hugely important. And I think for people listening, I think that's a huge thing that I hear all the time. And what is very alarming to me is when I hear my older friends who've been with their husbands for many years, not just newly in a relationship. They're like, oh, I have to do this. I got to get in shape. I'm going to see my husband. And I'm like, what? Like, do that for yourself. But that shouldn't be a marker in my opinion. So we moved from DC, we both moved to New York together. And as many, um, the the formula in New York, I was in fashion and Roger was in finance, the two Fs, both building our careers, working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I didn't see him for days. I would just like see him at two in the morning, he'd come home, I'd make him a bowl of cereal. And it was like, (laughs) He had to leave at like six or something. It was the craziest time. But I think because we were young, we didn't care. Like that's just, we kind of knew that's what we were doing, but we had so much fun. We were kind of living separate lives, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember very distinctly that we, we actually moved from DC. We moved with one of Rachel's good friends and her boyfriend was also an investment banker. So mm-hmm. we got a one bedroom house, had my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, one bedroom apartment, had my brother-in-law come and put one of those pressure walls up. And we made it a two-bedroom apartment. And what was funny is because uh, his name was Charles. He worked at Bear Stearns. Charles and I would work so much that we would like leave in the morning and literally not come home ever. And Rachel and, and Emily, uh, they worked normal, you know, sort of normal hours. Worked a lot, but you know they would come at seven, like a normal human beings, and we wouldn't be home. So they kind of like lived together. And then Wait, Charles and I would I like freelance. walk in at various times, like two, three in the morning, be like, hey, Charles, what's no. up? And like, we would live together. And it was a very, uh, it was very strange. But, you know, the thing about being young uh, and being in New York City, we I mean, I personally think it's the best place to be as a young person, sort of developing your career and your instincts, if you will, because it's a very fast place and you really have to learn how to navigate very quickly. And I think navigation skills are certainly, you know, super important. But... I mean, I honestly believe that Rachel and I, I mean, obviously when I, my first few years of my career, I was, you know, I was an analyst, I was really working my ass off as a banker. And then as you get a little bit more up the food chain, you could control your hours a little bit more and your life a little bit more. Rachel and I used to like to go out, you know, and uh, we loved this place. Uh, there was like this one place called Moomba, which was like the best place of all time, you know. It was New York. Yeah, people it was, don't really- It was a period There was also this, uh, there was actually before Moomba, it was really funny. What was it called? Cafe Tabac. Oh yeah, Cafe Tabac, good one. Mark Bar. Cafe so basically what oh, people don't realize, we're very old, but when we- move, You are very old. When we moved to New York City, there was bars and there were clubs. The concept of a lounge had not even been created. And actually New York City, Café de Bac was, I think, the first lounge. And then Spy Bar after that, Rachel and I were there at the very, like the precipice of lounge uh lounge culture.
1: I would argue it was by far and away the best years in New York City, uh, 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 apart from Studio 50. Right.
2: And a lounge culture is there's not loud music, there's music. It's not a bar where you're all standing. You have a table and chairs and you meet with friends and you get drinks. So it's a sort of amalgamation. But anyway, this place Moomba, I swear to God, Rachel and I would meet there every night upstairs, nine between nine and 10 o'clock. We'd have dinner upstairs. The food was great. And then the lounge would start filling up with you know everyone in, oh my god everyone in the world Mick Jagger
1: Madonna Bono uh, yeah I mean.
2: it was really quite I remember one night yeah we, we no, had I mean, Mick Jagger night, Bono every night. Every Madonna night. they were all like sitting uh, next to us and Rachel Lane we need the owner we were very you know we sort of that was our place and we stay we literally every shut that
1: place down every night
2: literally seven nights set a week set the alarm we set the <laughs> alarm with him every night for probably six
1: years Tommy Zhang
2: yeah. And, and I Gossett. but I think because of that sort of like that clubhouse for us, we actually met so many of the people that are in our lives even today in like the cultural world yeah. and the you know, it's almost like Max's Kansas City way back when, if anyone knows the world days. That's
1: where I met Jen Meyer. That's where I met Charlotte and Samantha Ronson yeah we have Shoshana there I mean the list goes on yeah tons of
2: people so you'll notice a lot of uh, old school New York City people uh, have an association with Moomba they actually opened one out here in LA uh, that didn't do as well
1: and when it closed I was like okay we can move to LA now (laughs) <laughs> the end of an era
2: yeah I actually i think the main reason why uh we had a you know we had a, a great time in new york we we, we loved new york we moved uh, 11, years? Yeah, 11 had, years 11 years
1: we lived in five apartments we got married in new york and we got um, married at, the rainbow, at room. the rainbow room at the top top of rockefeller center it was really extraordinary it was magical sweetheart well it was and what's funny is you know, the wedding was kind of for my parents, to be honest. They really wanted to do that. And Raj and I would have just kind of probably stayed we were, engaged I remember like being really,
2: I remember being really busy and not totally, we, were, we
1: couldn't deal. I didn't really even have care- time to do like fittings for my dress. Yeah, I'm pretty sure your
2: mom picked out her flowers. She
1: did. Well, Preston Bailey did the flowers. But I literally just said, I want drama. I want candelabras. I want drama. And, and that's it. My that, mother did the rest.
2: And the only thing I really cared about was the band. And they had to play Grateful Dead. And we had we got the most amazing band that had a
1: ton of Grateful Dead cover tunes. And then we were able to walk out to Peggy O. And then everybody went into rehab shortly after our wedding and said they'd never drink again. People yeah. like ended up in the elevators at like four in the morning. So it was a great wedding. Yes, <laughs> There was a huge blizzard. It was February 15th, 98. Eight. Long story short is we were living our best life. We were making a ton of money. I was a freelance stylist making a lot of money working in music, pop stars, the whole thing, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Jessica Simpson, Enrique, Roger was crushing it. We got our dream apartment that was a loft and it was, i st- half the furniture in our house is actually from that loft. We're actually so sitting on a couch. We're from actually sitting on a couch from there. from there. And the truth is we had no kids. We jumped up and jumped on planes where needed. We had no responsibility other than to ourselves living in New York City. And then, you know, I had a, a burning itch to come to LA Um, I always did since I was 16 and spent a summer here and never forgot it. And Roger was like, never, no way I'm a New Yorker for life. And then I think, you know, nine 11 happened. And I think like so many other people, I, I think it, it, it obviously, it hit me hard, really hard. I think it hit people differently. I think everybody obviously was traumatized in their own way, but for me, I don't think I was ever the same in New York. And I think having witnessed it and having seen, watching it from our terrace and being so close to it and feeling just so much pain from it, I, I'm pretty sure I, w- I really wasn't the same. I didn't fly the same. I didn't feel safe anymore. I really... I really was messed yeah, up. From and I it. think a
2: lot of our life was in LA. A lot of Rachel's yes. life was in LA and she's like, Wow, if I have to keep flying all the time, Let's you know, that's just move. that's this gonna is be the a time. hard thing. I think it was a culmination of two things. I think nine eleven really was the icing it on was. the cake. It was the but I think what was leading up to that, if I remember correctly, and I, I wanna say it was Giuliani at the time, but you know, I remember sort of the, the, the Disney the the Disneylandness of uh New York City. I mean, New York City became super corporate, if I remember correctly. You know, everything was you know, the gap and the this and the that, it, it lost a lot of its edge. Oh,
1: because we were living in the meatpacking yeah, district we and lived it just in the got like very district. commercial and our little like romantic nights at two in the morning at Pastis and like walking through the yeah, we moved the to the like, meatpacking district yeah, when you literally that. walked got past very commercial. meat.
2: I mean, there was meat on hangers everywhere. True. And then, you know, I would say when we left New York City, there was, you know, it's all true. the top retailers- yeah.
1: Not, it, it got it got it, more commercial, and the hotels and stuff there, like there was that. No, there, there was it no, lost its flavor a bit uh, for us New York, at the
2: time. New York lost a lot of its flavor, in my in my opinion, at the time, and uh, so I think those two things really sort of gave us the desire to move out west. And, and we just
1: thought, well, we have no kids. We were we were sort of like my parents said something to me for so many years, and they it's not that they ever wanted me to move to California, but they did say New York isn't going anywhere, and so I knew. It's sometimes someone has to say something so obvious for you to sort of, you know, just change your mind about it. And I thought, okay, we have no children. We have our careers. We have each other. That's all we're answering to. So, you know, let's, let's do this now.
2: And also at the time we had just sold I just sold my company at the time and we had the opportunity that we could move, and if you remember.
1: So So it was sort it was of a transitional
2: timing. event for for my work. Um I'd left banking and we I'd started a company with a partner of mine and we just sold it. So we had a little bit of money and sort of not a lot of responsibilities and we're like, Okay, it's time to move west.
1: And then we came out here and I thought he would come for a week and turn right back around and go back to New York and be like, you've lost your mind. I'm such a New Yorker and I'm never I'm this is insane. And he came and I swear on my life, he was here for a week. And he was getting up at seven, he was doing yoga and drinking green juice and he was done. Oh, I, I he, he literally was like, That's it. I'm not going back. And the rest is history. We've been here 19 years. So we fell in love with California. And I don't know, it's weird. I feel like I've always lived Well, here. I think
2: it's also the lifestyle and the people. And, you know, people always make fun of the people here. But ultimately, I think the people are a lot more open. They're open to ideas and they're, they're a lot more accepting. And I frankly don't need a ton of pomp and circumstance. I'm a little bit more casual, I think. So It works. it works well for us. I think with us, it's... Um, you know, obviously we're entrepreneurs, but I think when you have someone that you love and you have someone that uh, is by your side and that part of your world is sort of solid, it gives you the opportunity to take risks in other ways. And, you know, Rachel and I had moved to LA and she was, you know, getting a name for herself. And, you know, I remember distinctly when we were thinking about doing this reality show. And by the way, reality shows at that time were not very established. The only one that really was on was Real World and uh, Newlyweds. So, and by the way, Bravo was um, the arts and entertainment network at the time and it had it inside the actor studio and all those shows. Such so, a good show. So they were the all actors, great shows yeah. and we were sort of, oh, wow, we're going to be doing a fashion commentary show. This is wonderful. And um, at the time I remember you saying, well, gee, honey, I don't know. It's like reality. Should we do it? And I remember looking at you and go, we moved to LA. Of course we should be on in Hollywood. You know, of course we should be on TV. We're in LA. And it, it No, just,
1: you what you said to me is you have nothing to lose because people are making false assumptions about who they think you are.
2: But that was a that was the deeper business meaning of four. No,
1: no, because I was terrified and I said, No way, no way. And you said you have nothing to lose well, because yeah. in the absence because, of a
2: narrative, people will make up their own. Okay. And people were making up their own narrative about Rachel. So right. I thought it was important she was actually the most talented, hardworking, you know, stylist out there, and 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 the things that we're saying about her were just untrue. So I and I remember actually the very the very first time our show aired, the very first episode. I remember watching Twitter feeds, and every single one that was, like, oh, I wanted to hate this girl, but I kind of like her. Wow, she may be harsh, but she's fierce. And and you and I just saw public opinion turning uh, before my eyes. But I, what I was saying, my earlier point was that. I just think that the ability to take risk and the ability to not know what the future is, but to know that you'll be okay, is uh, that's also if you have a secure relationship. But I think that's why we were able to do the Rachel Zoe project because frankly, we didn't care what other people thought about right. us because we only care what we thought about each other. Right. And I think that, that's, uh, that's an important part that's of our that partnership. What,
1: that's actually what made me do it because yeah. I was terrified. And I remember Roger saying, it's, it's making you so sad that people are judging you without knowing you. So at least if you are who you are and you show them who you are, they can hate you, but at least there's it, it, at least, at least there, they can form their own. opinion. At least they can form an, an accurate opinion versus speculation. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I just said, "Okay, let's do this." Mm-hmm. And, and of and course, I think, I you're think
2: right. well, I also think the fact is that I had no idea what I was talking about because I do distinctly remember waking up and there was 18 people in our house. I counted that I'm like, wait a second, I thought there was like a camera. There's 18 people. There's like people eating like potato chips and standing Everywhere. around doing nothing. In our new it was house. amazing. Yeah, that was Just cool. like any other production.
1: Remember that hot guy that like used to.
2: I do remember. Yeah, that was very funny. When Rachel wouldn't do anything. Jeremiah? Get, yeah, Jeremiah. We'd get Jeremiah to No, tell not Rachel Jeremiah.
1: Do Jeremy. Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy. Is it Jeremy?
2: I can't remember. I think it was Jeremiah. Not, not that. Not, not Jeremiah,
1: Jeremiah Brent, different Jeremiah. But anyway, there was this hot guy that worked on the set, and anytime I didn't want to do something, they sent him in to ask me, mm-hmm. and I did it.
2: And she, and he flirted with her, and she did it. Let's
1: I was stand. okay with that. A cute boy will really go a long way times but anyway from my perspective anything that I was doing in my business like obviously any financial part of it any real big decisions we sat and talked about everything like should I do this what do you think everything kind of real beyond my styling decisions we did we made those decisions as a couple because that's what you do right but I think what was happening was it was getting my business was growing and um it started to just be more than I could handle while still actually doing the job. (laughs) Mm. And um, Roger was at like a pivotal point in his career where he had recognition media and he was doing all these other things. And I think ultimately he had the idea to create the Report as a way to further connect with my audience. My followers, and we launched the Zara Report, and it was Roger, myself, and Jessica Mento, one writer who we still love. And I think that's when our saga began as whatever we are. That said, it's all a bit of a blur. So I'm quite certain Roger's going to have a different take on it.
2: No, I think the take is not that dissimilar. I think what uh, I think you were correct that it was a pivotal time in my life. Um, what happened is the financial recession had happened. God, I don't, I don't know if anybody's 2008, bored. right? Yeah, if any, anyone's bored by that. Uh, yeah, it was 2008, 2009, in that range, I think. And, you know, frankly, I was here in LA and I had, had like one person in the office here, but basically the business was based in New York. And to be honest, I sort of, I think, missed, you know, being a, a part of a company. Yeah. I did. I was I think part you were of a bored. You were, yeah, I, were did. A I was bored. part of a company, That's but it was sort of based okay. in the East Coast. And- you know, there was a t- I was sort of gonna try and, you know, look for something else to do. And what I thought about was, hey, you know, what are my skills, you know, I could be a banker or whatever. And I could, you know, I could work for, you know, be a part of another company or maybe start something else. But at the time, Rachel was getting more and more popular. And it just really annoyed me because I was, you know, at the time, you know, on the Webby Awards and I was pretty into the internet. And it just annoyed me that Rachel had all these theoretical millions of fans, but had no way of even communicating with them. And it just seemed so strange not to have a website. And then I just thought to myself, well, who, who's going to do this website for her? Not me. Yeah. And, you know, if you really look at how, uh, at that point, at least, the infrastructure in Hollywood was set up, you know, you have agents, you have managers, but you don't have someone that's like web developer strategist and... Uh, You know, I frankly thought at that point I had a lot of experience in email and I thought that uh, emails were just as good as a phone number at this point for the next decade. And I said, hey, you're going to want to contact these people and be in touch with them and uh, maybe one day even, uh, you know, sell to these people. We don't know.
1: But the truth is I was so buried in the Rachel Zoe project and my styling career and everything else that I was like, okay, great, go run. Like it was... We, we launched the Zoe Report and I was obsessed with it and I loved the concept about it and I loved all of it, but it really became Roger's like baby and project and like full time. And then we grew and grew and our staff grew and our team grew and we just kept getting bigger and bigger. We were busting out of our offices and the Zoe Report got so big and um, you know, it just became an incredible extension of the Rachel Zoe brand. But all the while I was underwater with my actual day jobs, so to speak. So I think for me, I'm very untrusting. You know, you hear a lot of things about partners that have catastrophes and it's, it's a age old tale in, in business. But I think for me, there was going from only working for myself, then partnering with my husband was sort of like, okay, well, no learning curve. The trust is there. And we have the same intention and you know, we, our, our agenda is the same to be successful and grow this incredible brand and company. And, you know, the dream obviously is that we leave it to our kids someday and blah, blah, blah. So, it yeah, ended but it up dis- I distinctly
2: remember thinking to myself, well, if I join someone else's company, I might, you know, have a few points. But under California law, I own 50% of this brand. So let's make it a brand.
1: I have always had a very clear idea of where I sit in our business and where my strengths are and absolutely, absolutely know where my weaknesses are. I'm very clear on Roger's strengths and his weaknesses. He may not be as clear on his weaknesses. That, what you, why don't you tell me, Rachel? No, no, I'm not gonna do that. That said- I'm sure our
2: listeners would love to hear all of my weaknesses. <laughs> that
1: said, there are absolutely exceptions to that rule. You know, I would say I know business really well based on instinct, based on- you know, a feeling for something, I can make a decision, I can see something exciting when it's gonna happen and I go based on what feels right and what looks right. And then does a business make sense? Does this path make sense, right? I don't have that kind of background. I don't have the finance background at all. And I would never pretend to. And I think there are those moments over the years where he crosses to my side, I cross to his side.
2: For sure. And I think actually Rachel's gotten much, much, more involved in sort of quote unquote my side of the business because I think it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And I think what people don't realize is, you know, business is creative, right? Um, If you just think you're going to create pretty things and try and sell them, well, you're going to fail. So, I think uh, all sort of creative endeavors, you know, that have commerce attached to them have a, a good mix of art and commerce. And I think uh, the most successful ones get it right, that mix. I would agree. I think, first of all, I think you're underselling yourself. I think you are, actually are a very good business person. I think that your strengths just come out in different ways. And I think that actually the more you lean into them and the more that you uh, are confident in them, I think the better
1: you'll be actually i be on Shark Tank, honey. I really just want to be on Shark Tank. The best thing about working for myself, well, bear in mind that I've literally worked for myself since I was 25 years old. I've been on my own. I have not had a boss since I was 25. I've had one boss in my entire life. And I think with that, there are a lot of wonderful things and there are a lot of really challenging things about that. That said, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and I would say the best part of that has always been that I govern my own life in every way, if I want to be and have always been a workaholic, I can be. And I would say that working with Roger and us creating our life path together, it's funny, you see a lot of doctors that marry doctors and you see lawyers that marry lawyers. And it's funny because they get the insanity of each other. They get the life that they have to live and actors marry producers, you know, you see Hollywood marry Hollywood. And I think in our case, the fact that we do this together and there's no learning curve and there's no like trying to explain my day at the end of an exhausting day and vice versa. I think that's the greatest thing. We can also travel as a family. We don't have to separate and be apart all the time. We, um, you know, we make those decisions together. So I would say that those are the pros for me is that we can roll together always. The worst thing about it is probably that we're always together. No, I'm just kidding. I would say the worst thing, No, but I was going to say the worst thing about it to me is that there is no fall person. The one thing that I would say, the only negative that I would say since I've worked for myself long before I had children, there is no one you answer to. And there is no one to cover for you when you are sick, when you are tired. No one can show up on my behalf. It's my name on the door. And there's just, uh, you know, I remember styling and I remember I would show up on set with the flu because if I didn't get paid, there wasn't, you know, you can't not show up. That for me, I would say has been the biggest challenge at times over the years. And there there were no day offs. And by the way, there still are no day offs. But
2: I think We're always on. But I think if I could make a point, I mean, I think the main reason for trying to create the Rachel Zoe brand is it it's impossible for you to continue at that pace and being the person. I think it's I think it's very hard. And I see a lot of, you know, I think a lot of people are creating brands around their influence, but you know, to just create money by being on a set or doing a service, you know, at some point you can only charge a certain amount per hour and, and at some point you can only, you know, have a certain amount of hours in the day. So that's why I thought it was very important for us to build, you know, brand equity. Rachel Zoe, so that even if you weren't there, the name meant something. And that, and that's, you know, and that's the, was the beginning of the process, of course. And now that's why we're able to have our, you know, your brand on, you know, Products, because the the main the, the name means something more than you uh, the, than the actions you're doing physically, you know, during that hour, and that's you know that's the evolution of any brand.
1: But I actually mean in the physical sense of even as a service, as a stylist, like I just mean when you work for yourself and there's nobody covering for you. I think that's an important lesson for people to take away. When you well, decide to be your own boss, you can't call and say. well, listen.
2: If you have to make payroll, you're the one that has to figure out the that's money to make point. payroll. There is no one to call and say, hey, can you figure this? out? out for me, you are the beginning and the end. And that is a lot of responsibility. I think one of the really, you know, I'm just going to add to what you're saying. Um, I think, yes, the best part about us working together is the fact that, you know, I find a lot of couples, you know, grow apart, you know, they're working a lot. And if you really think about it, they're spending one, two hours a day. And they're Some, too
1: tired to, deal, they're with too tired to deal with
2: each other. So it's nice. We get sort of like all sorts of moments together. Um,
1: and if we're not in the mood to talk to each other, we just don't.
2: Yeah, I would agree.
1: <laughs> like if I'm over you, or you're you just like go on the other side of the house, or you leave, and it's fine.
2: I agree with all your points, Rachel, about um, the pros and the cons of uh, owning a business. Obviously, the flexibility of your, you know, control of your destiny, and, and the like. You you know, you can't show up one day be fired. You know, which is a nice feeling. I think one of the literally, which I didn't realize, the best part about it for for me is actually the fact that I look back and, you know, we've had literally over the years, you know, hundreds of employees. And it's interesting because you're really providing like a paycheck and they have husbands and wives and they go get a lease on a house or buy a home or, you know, and you really, uh, I don't know, I feel a sense of real gratitude with the fact that we are able to, from your brand name, from what we've created, have other people be able to have a livelihood from that. I think that's very uh, fulfilling for me.
1: I also love that we created an extended family and that a lot of the people that have come through our company and are still with us have become an extended family to us, but also to each other. And they have lifelong friendships.
2: Yeah. I think that's amazing when people become best friends through our company. Yes. I think that's wonderful. The
1: only thing I will say is I would say that, and I will leave on this note, I think that I will leave this point is that I think the best is when it's great you get to enjoy it with each other, but in the low points it's terrifying because it's you because it's the two of us and it stops at us. So if there's a scary moment, it's scary together and there's no one really to catch if we fall. Yeah. And and that's something that I think is important for people to know when they're going all in and they're working together. I think it's a really important point that they look at the biggest pros and also you know the cons and the scary parts.
2: It's not the best diversification strategy. No,
1: definitely not. I really stand by let each other be their best, let e- empower each other to do what they do and don't try and do their job and vice versa. And obviously, like I said earlier, there are exceptions to that rule, but you gotta stay in your lane in order to make it work. And, Honestly.
2: Yeah. And I would just add, I think one of Be the most. Be respectful of each other. Yeah. Definitely stay in your lane. But I think it's even beyond that, Rach. I think that what I find, especially even married couples, I mean, I think there's a fair amount of competition and ego that goes on between spouses. Yes. And I think ultimately, you know, you'll find at least aside from the wisecrack here and there, you know, for the most part, you know, I will go to my death defending Rachel, defending the brand and defending what we're doing. Yes. And I will, no, no matter what, never tear you down. I will always you know, put our brand, put you up there as in a respectful manner. And I think the same thing, like you even started off earlier saying, you know, that I, you know, whatever I did this or, or I'm good at that. And I think the idea is knowing, knowing and respecting what the other person brings and don't tear them down because it's easy to be like, Oh, that was me or that was whatever. And you know, it's much, it's easy for the ego, but not having an ego or putting your ego in check. I mean, that's especially for our relationship, obviously Rachel is certainly front and center um, for sure. I think maybe 20 years now people are realizing that, you know, I'm sort of here and behind the scenes, which is it couldn't care less. But the point is, is you got to really have no ego. It's for the greater good. You know what? I don't care that people don't know who I am as long as we are good.
1: No. And and I would say that he's been that way from the day we, we met and I started my business because even when I was styling and nobody knew my name. But people, everyone, like his friends and guys I would meet, they'd be like, how do you just let her like go out with such and such celebrity or so-and-so model? He was like, I I trust her. If they can get her, they can have her. You know, he did. He said that because he, it was- The it best was, saying
2: it, of all time. It, it
1: was, but the truth is, is A, it worked, right? B, you know, I always say like behind many successful women is a really, really good man that's- that's rooting for them. And my dad always rooted for my mother. My dad always rooted for me and my sister. And the thing is, Roger has always, always, always rooted for me. He's never competed with me. He's never been jealous. He never wanted anything but success and never did anything but lift me up. And I think that that would probably be the number one piece of advice to couples that are starting out never compete with each other because that's the beginning of the end, in my opinion. Agreed. This show is brought to you by our show's new sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. This past year has been full of challenges for everyone. I think it's important to say that first of all, if you've been struggling, you are most definitely not alone. And more importantly, there's no reason to be ashamed. Because in 2021, the shame around mental health is officially outdated and very out of style. Having a peaceful and healthy mindset sometimes takes a lot of extra support. That's why therapy is so essential. And thanks to BetterHelp, it's more accessible and convenient than ever before. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to because let's be real, some days another video meeting is not something you want any part of. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. BetterHelp is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours, which honestly is truly incredible because it's hard to find an in-person therapist who can fit you into their schedule on such short notice. But the truth is, if you've made the decision to focus on your mental health and actually feel better, you shouldn't have to wait to get the help you deserve. So please join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and works for us listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash works. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash works works okay so when choosing a deodorant brand i sometimes feel like i'm honestly making the choice between a product that works but is full of harsh chemicals and a product that's natural but very rough on my skin and way less effective but with each and every i've finally found a deodorant that measures up to my standards each and every is a natural deodorant that has no chemicals or hidden ingredients, and it actually feels silky and smooth on my skin. But most importantly, it really works. Each and every has been found to fight odor as well as antiperspirant without the aluminum. And let's just say I can attest to that because Roger's been using it too. And if it didn't work, trust me, I'd be the first to know. It doesn't stain or street clothing, which obviously is so important to me. I've loved using the new limited edition white chamomile and bergamot scent. It smells so fresh and amazing. I'm shocked I just said that about a deodorant. I mean, what's actually happening? But honestly, I love the simplicity of this product because they use just six safe ingredients like dead sea salt, coconut oil, and essential oils. So I know I'm not putting anything harmful on my skin. And if I didn't already love them enough, each and every is also a better choice for the planet. Their unique sugar cane packaging is the first eco-conscious carbon-negative packaging used in deodorant. So trust me, you're going to love each and every, and lucky for you, a fantastic deal to offer to our listeners. For a limited time only, you can get 30% off your first purchase. So go to eachandevery.com slash ZO and use promo code ZO. That's 30% off with promo code ZO at eachandevery.com slash Spring is a refreshing season that inspires us to shake up our routines and our habits. It's the perfect time of year to renew our minds, our bodies, and to focus on our health. As we make our way out of the winter months and head into warmer weather, let Care of help. All of Care of's products are formulated with good for you clean ingredients that are backed by science and all of your recommended supplements come in daily individually wrapped packets that are perfect for helping you adjust to your healthy new habit. Careof is also super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each one of their products, which allows you to rest easy knowing that you've made the right choice in your supplements. And Careof goes above and beyond to make sure that you're choosing what's right for your goals and needs. Careof's in-depth online quiz asks you questions about your diet, your lifestyle, and your health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. Seriously, this quiz is like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist without ever having to leave your house. How amazing is that? You'll get a personally tailored approach to your unique health needs, and who doesn't love something that's custom tailored for them? I know I do. In my quiz, I mentioned that my goals were reducing stress and getting better sleep, and Karev recommended ashwagandha and magnesium to help me do exactly that. I like to know what I'm putting into my body, but I don't always have the time to be as thorough as I'd like to be. So a company that does the research for me directly and focuses on my specific needs is exactly what I'm looking for. So try Care Of today and make this season a great one. As a works for us listener, you can get 50% off your first Care Of order by going to takecareof.com and entering code RachelZoe.com. 50. That's takecareof.com and enter Rachel Zoe 50. What I learned about myself when I became a mother, I learned that I could never possibly love anything more in my entire life than I love my children. You just, it's an unfathomable, indescribable, paralyzing love that took over my entire being for. I would say at least a year. I could not get my head out of the, the 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 mommy kind of world. I couldn't honestly figure out how to get back into my life again. I did, but it took maybe.
2: <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the best year we've had. <laughs> Business wise, that was tough.
1: Yeah. Um. So I would say I really thought that I was going to like have a baby and kind of like pass it to my parents and, like, go to work and, like, whatever. That was a little bit more of my mindset, which is weird because I've always been obsessed with kids. I think I was so immersed in my career that I couldn't see past it and I couldn't wrap my head around how I was going to, like, take a shower and comb my hair and, like, go to an event while having a child. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So I think what I learned was that, just the overwhelming paralyzing love and how it turned me completely inside out and upside down I couldn't see past it you know he was very different the second time than he was the first time the first time he was like all in like I couldn't believe it he was like he wanted to like get up in the middle of the night which by the way he slept like a very peaceful 12 hours for the 18 years we were together before we had kids sleep was like his entire universe and he wanted to be like super dad. Um, and he just jumped right in and was like, I want to feed him. I want to hug him. I want to create, you were so in. And then Skylar kind of ignored him for a bit. Um,
2: a bit meaning three years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so then
2: my, my so then my, so now this is a perfect segue for me to, to, to realize what I realized about kids. Well, I love my children and I was so happy to have my children. Um. But what I realized myself- Yeah, well, of course, I'm very, I I mean, I love my children, but this is an honest show, Rachel. And no, no, you said, what did you learn about yourself? I think I learned, um, I'm probably more selfish than I thought I was.
1: Wait, I wasn't wasn't done with what I learned about you. Oh, I'm sorry. I learned that he, in theory, wanted to be a super hands-on, full-on dad. But then, the first chance he got to go on a trip to Hong Kong like a month later, he was like, bye.
2: Yeah, I realized that. I see, unlike Rachel, where I like was, I wasn't paralyzed and couldn't see past my kids. I was nope, like, sure okay, uh, they." I don't know. We've had a kid for like two weeks. I could go out to dinner now. And so I kind of, I don't know. I thought kids were a part of our life, not the entire life. And Rachel kind of thought or still does that they are the entire life. So I think we're, I think, Actually, I think Rachel's coming a little bit more to my school and I'm coming a little more to her school. And I think we're sort of somewhat meeting in the in, in, in the happening? middle. I, I think so. I
1: don't think I'm coming more to oh, school. Oh God.
2: Well, I'm just going, I'm just, I'm just running further Oh, away. okay. Okay. I'm just ignoring, it. I'm just got ignoring it. my family more and more. It works for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah. I've. Roger's been missing lately.
2: Well, what I learned about Rachel when she became a mother is it really, well, it actually just it, it reinforced what I actually thought, you know, I've known Rachel for a long time and she's always been all in on whatever she does. She's a perfectionist and she, you know, was very competitive in that manner. You know, when she had a child, I think what most surprised, well, I knew she was going to be a great mom, but what most surprised me was her, uh, her verve, I guess uh, the fact that she really uh, was hell bent on being the world's best mom and not in a competition wise, but just <laughs> she felt it that she just needed to be. And, um, What I learned is it's super, super easy to spend 20 years uh, with someone and then be ignored. (laughs) I learned that uh, everything I've ever done in my life up to that point meant nothing. And uh, I've learned that if I want to stay around in this house- I've got to learn to love those damn kids really, really hard. Because if I don't love them as much as she loves them, then guess what? I get in love. So I love my damn kids.
1: I'm not trying to argue all of that, actually. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, because
2: if you're not in on the kids, then your wife who's in on the kids is like, well, you're not on the kids. And like, then I don't really like you anymore. So you're like, okay, well, I'm totally in with the kids. She's like, well, that's better. And then I like you. So you kind of got to be a family man to get the family part of the man.
1: I just think we can't make it easier for the dad to like have kids be like- An accessory? Like, like the side hustle. I think that too many of us, Because as women, we take the responsibility just organically to do it all and be the best mom because that's our job. And I don't do it because it's my job. I do it because I live for it. But I think at the same time, I think that there is a tendency to have that unspoken- Free pass? Yes, where you you have your, Sundays and you have your Monday nights and you have your Saturday afternoons. According to my mother, who, when I say I never remember a day without my dad, my mom claims he was traveling so much for business. He was barely home. He never changed a diaper. He never did it da. I'm like, what do you mean? He's the most perfect human being. So I think that there is a tendency as women that we let you do that. And I think that I'm here to say you do what you do. I think we don't want to be the nagging wife that traps the husband. But I also think, I think there is an expectation that we want the dads. And obviously this is huge generalizations. There are many exceptions, especially today where the roles are very much reversed. But I think that as mothers, we want the dads to want to play that role, not to beg to play that role. And I think- that if you don't, you don't. And if you do, you do. I know you love our children. I think that's fine. I'm just not going to continue to make it easier for you to have leisurely afternoons. And this works for I'm us.
2: I'm not so sure it works for us. It works for you. As the children are getting older now and I'm able to have, uh, I guess- I think you're going to
1: get your life back now. You no, know,
2: like more deeper conversations with them. And it, it's just for me, uh, I think as the kids get older and they sort of are functioning personalities, I'm sort of um really- I don't know, getting a, a much better relationship with them as opposed to when they're just like really, you know, young kids and they really want their mommy. You know, it's, it's hard to really feel that or, you know, need it or even, you know, whatever. I always say, I don't, I don't have my first memory till I'm after four. So as long as you keep them safe, you're fine. <laughs> See, and you, and you completely misinterpreted your memories because you love your daddy. So there you go.
1: In 20 years, I hope that we have grown our business, that we have a brand that continues to mean more and more to people and that we are really enjoying our life with our grown kids. I desperately want grandchildren.
2: Yeah, in 20 years, I'm hoping that one of our children has a I already a told child. Skylar
1: he's really got to get on this young. <laughs> he's got to get on the kid thing really young. Meanwhile, I did the polar opposite, but still... As as a parent, I just already have kind of put in him. I, I need to be a grandma at a young age. Oh,
2: yeah. So I guess in 20 years, we're gonna be grandparents and uh, just as boring as ever.
1: I think we'll be yeah. just like my parents who are 83 and 78 and go out, not in COVID, but go out seven nights a week and continue to live a very full, fun
2: life. Yeah, I mean, that's me. I'm always... I, I cannot sit in the house. Just
1: we want to like experience life and with our children and our families. Yeah, kind of. And build something that really means a lot to people and that it stays forever. Get because back. I think, well, yeah, that's yeah. my favorite thing to do. What makes this work? Honestly, it's actually very simple trust 1000%. I don't ever wonder where he is because I know. <laughs> I always know where he is. And honesty. And like I said, Patience. A lot of patience and knowing when to walk away.
2: I think what makes our relationship work is, I agree with Rachel that what makes our relationship work is trust, patience. And I think the other real thing that makes us work is I think we both accepted the fact that you're not necessarily going to change the other one and you really can't go to the final world war on every single thing that might bother you about the other person. You just have to understand and live that that's part of what makes them that person. And try and look at it as something that creates them as a, as opposed to something that annoys you about them. And
1: you could sort of live with it. Acceptance.
2: Yeah, acceptance.
1: There's acceptance. I think there's acceptance after being together for so long that there are things that are unchangeable and you choose to accept them or you don't. And you change the things you can't accept or try to. And I think there's compromise, but overall it's 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 a trust. Yeah,
2: and I also think we have time on our side because ultimately I'm just too damn tired to care. So eventually you just kind of love the one you're with.
1: Every guest that we have on our show, no matter what kind of relationship they're in, at the end of every episode, they will answer five questions on behalf of each other. So it only makes sense for Roger and I to...
2: Okay, so the the word is, the questions will vary each week, so we actually don't know if these are gonna be the exact same questions, but they're gonna be like this.
1: Rachel, what's the one piece of clothing of Roger's that you would throw away? All of his trucker hats.
2: (gasps) That's so sad.
1: Is it though? And Roger, what about you? What's the one piece of clothing of Rachel's that you would want to throw away?
2: All of her high heels.
1: We might as well get divorced. What are you talking Well, I want
2: my trucker hats.
1: You have the most gorgeous head of hair of any man who is 52. And I have not seen a hair on your head since before COVID. So that full of head of hair, does that do anything for you? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, hmm. Who has the most X's? (laughs) Me. (laughs) Definitely Uh, me.
2: Definitely Rachel.
1: (laughs) Definitely me. No debate there. What's Roger's go-to karaoke song? Um both of us have a really 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 large fear of karaoke. Neither of us karaoke.
2: I don't have a fear of karaoke.
1: Oh, I do. It's my life fear. I just assumed you did cuz I've never seen you karaoke. Because
2: you never karaoke, so you've never seen me karaoke.
1: Oh, that's true. Okay. So I would say um probably for him if it weren't a Grateful Dead song, it would be The Doors' like Love Street because he loves to sing that oh. and he like dreams to be Jim Morrison. I think that he would died. be
2: a good one. That or like you 2 you know, little Bono.
1: Don't even try that. Just I want
2: to run. Don't,
1: don't. Oh my God, I stop, I want to stop. hide. Don't,
2: why are
1: you I doing that to, to Bono? I want to tear down, down the
2: walls that hold us inside.
1: Honestly, he's pretty good. No, he isn't. I want to deaf.
2: seek shelter <laughs> for the poison rain. Oh God. Where the streets have known. Anyway.
1: Okay, if Rachel wasn't afraid to sing karaoke, what song do you think she would sing? Like, what, what songs in your heart, Rachel? So
2: she would be singing Fleetwood Mac yeah, all so. day long. She'd be
1: well, more specifically,
2: Stevie Dix. Yes, she'd be singing. Don't, you... are you okay? No, no.
1: don't you dare. I mean, you try and hit that
2: note, don't you do you... it?
1: No, that's why I don't karaoke, friend. Wasting away all alone. Oh no, 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 you know what I'm talking about. No, that I think that was even not Stevie Nicks. However, I would say, do you remember when Kate? Uh, karaoke Stevie Nicks and she was extraordinary so that's why I don't karaoke because right when I think I'm drunk enough to get the nerve to do it someone like Kate Hudson gets up and like sings Stevie Nicks what is Roger's biggest fear snakes like a snake literally crawling up his body
2: oh that's very fearful
1: and our boys couldn't be more obsessed with snakes what's Rachel's biggest fear everything no it's so easy so easy
2: Rachel's biggest fear. So easy. So
1: easy? I have so many of them.
2: I mean, where do we begin? But uh, fear of having no water would probably be one of them.
1: What did you say? Having no water? Yes. No. How about actually being in water? Like falling off a boat. Like that would be world's greatest fear. Yeah. Well. Like that's actually a fear. Like I have nightmares Well, why do we? Well, let's underwater. not. What about
2: being in a plane? What yeah. What about yeah. being in a but crowded area? That. What about... Wait a second. I, I would have I, fears. Wait a second. I think Rachel's phobic. This
1: was, hey, this was not an opportunity for you to, oh,
2: to go. I'm sorry, Mary. So I would say Rachel has many fears, but her top fears would be fear of water, fear of heights, fear of crowds, fear of loud noise, and let's leave it at that. Yeah, let's Those leave it at that. Those are some good ones. Hey, Rach, can I do something um, on our very first episode? I'm not sure. I'm
1: scared. Well, you know, I'm a, you know, I like writing, right? No.
2: Oh, you don't know that about thirty about thirty years. That you you don't like think writing?
1: I've ever, well, you know, I
2: I like to speak sometimes. If, if well, there's I know an event. you like to speak.
1: Well, I, I mean, you know,
2: sometimes I like to put my thoughts into words.
1: No, I do, and actually, I will say this: there's no one that writes cards better than you. And what about poems? You're, you're good at poems. Okay. You're really good at poems, actually, when you, when you when you care enough to write one.
2: Well, I think on this momentous occasion, which oh, is our new podcast, I put down a few words and I wrote myself a poem. I wrote us a poem. It's sort of like maybe it's our theme poem. Oh, God. Although you haven't heard it yet, so you're probably going to hate it. So oh, if no. you like it, maybe it'll be our theme poem and we could post it somewhere. Oh, no. Not that anyone cares. It's very short for... You guys don't have to listen. Why are much. you wearing
1: a sleeveless shirt?
2: Because I have such huge guns. Obviously, well, not so obviously, but the name of this poem is... It works for us. Also, the name of this podcast. I know, I'm amazing. Here we are again, taking the plunge. We've been here before. Those days were fun. We're a little bit older with some wisdom to share, along with some guests who will come on our air. We'll try and help out as best as we can. Giving advice is part of the plan. Partners, lovers, workers, we'll cover them all and try and give some advice so you make the right call. No, we aren't real doctors, we can't prescribe drugs, but an ad here or there, we're happy to plug. We'll hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Nothing worth having doesn't start with the first. What I do know for certain is we have each other's trust, we'll each do our part, it works for us.
1: So I thought that was kind of a cool little ditty. I'm exhausted. That was the most exhausting hour of the last year. I actually don't remember the last time we sat still next to each other and talked for that long. I don't think you remember because I don't think it's ever happened. Because I'm actually pretty sure you've never sat still for that long and had a single conversation with anybody. Are you proud of me? I'm not sure yet. Can you be? I'm not sure yet.
2: Do I get a reward?
1: I'm not sure yet.
2: Hmm.
1: What was your favorite part?
2: My favorite part is talking to you, my love. Having undivided attention, looking and staring into your eyes, and just wondering, wow, I'm so fulfilled.
1: I don't like your attitude. What's wrong with my attitude? I love you. I'm over you. Let's move on. What you're being the mean one now. No, because I'm I have really good reason to believe you're being really sarcastic and obnoxious right now. So let's just move on.
2: All right, let's go to the next subject. Ready? Well, that was good for me. Was it good for you?
1: No. What do you mean no? (laughs) No, it wasn't. I thought it was amazing. (laughs) I think we have very different interpretations of our story.
2: I think we should leave it up to everyone's imagination of what we're talking about. I'm talking about what we just did together. I'm aware, honey. And I thought it was amazing.
1: Well, because I think we agree somehow at the core, despite the fact that we are very different, what makes us work or doesn't
2: work. I, I, I think we work so well. Because we fit together so well.
1: See, I actually think we work so well because I have a tremendous amount of patience and that even though there's moments I want to literally punch you in the face, I kind of want to hug you three minutes later. So that's, I think, our um, secret sauce. Okay, so we wanted to leave you with a little highlight and low light from our week. In relationships, the bad definitely comes with the good. So this is our time to mention a little bit of both of those things. Okay, babe, what was your highlight and low light of this week?
2: This week, my highlight had to be making sweet love to you.
1: Did you actually just say that? Because I want to die.
2: Do you want to hear what my low light is? I
1: am dead.
2: What is, do you want to ask what my low light is? I'm
1: not over the highlight. I want to cry. Well, you'll get to the low light. If- We're going to send our kids to therapy really soon. My kid, our kids kind of are in therapy. Ugh. Right now. Anyway. What? What is your low light?
2: When I tried to make sweet love to you and you rebuffed me.
1: I don't even know what rebuff means, but I assume that's another word for reject.
2: Indeed it is.
1: Okay. Well, my highs sweetheart, and lows are a bit sweetheart, different.
2: Sweetheart, what would your highlights and low lights be for this week? Well, are they the same?
1: No. My highlights were that by 6 a.m. every day this week, there was burning hot Starbucks waiting for me in the kitchen when I walked in with one eye open after the new puppy kept me up all night. Um, So that would be the highlight.
2: And what would your low light be this week, my love?
1: On one of those days, the Starbucks was wrong.
2: That is, for our listeners, devastating news. (laughs) That is a low light in Rachel's world. So if you liked what you heard so far or even if you didn't, because we're really desperate, please make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating review and keep listening. And give us
1: a good review, please.
2: We even have a promotion going on where your rating and review might win you a curator box. So check us out on our Instagram to find out more about that offer.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I know we've already talked about the importance of mental health in this episode, but it's so important that I actually can't say it enough. If something is interfering with your happiness or keeping you from being the best version of yourself, you owe it to yourself to get help. And therapy is the help you deserve. BetterHelp is so convenient that there's actually no excuse not to try it if you're curious about the experience. You can schedule a weekly video or phone sessions so you don't have to try to fit in an in-person therapy session into your weekly schedule. You can do your sessions from the comfort of your home, which especially helps during these crazy times. And if you're worried that you might not mesh with your therapist, let me put your mind at ease. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Because if it's not a fit, it's actually not gonna work and BetterHelp is dedicated to making it work. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Works For Us listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com works. So don't wait. Visit betterhelp.com works and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional.